If you have a Bible, get with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're finishing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're at the last little section where the Lord is wrapping up the sermon, and uh, we're in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 27, and there are, this is one of those, it's going to ruin your day kind of verses. It's one of those... It kind of punches you in the gut uh, kind of verses, so I'm just giving you a heads up. There, there are a few different passages in the Bible that I think have such a profound effect on, on people when they experience them that it, just, it can become a moment where you, you, you say, my life was radically altered. And I know every verse in the Bible has that capacity, but I think there are certain sections that do this on a large scale for a lot of people. Uh, so there are different passages that I can think of where I, where I remember when I, when I interacted with it at a high level, it, it changed my life. For instance, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees a vision of the temple of the Lord, the glory of the Lord filling the temple, and the seraphim angels flying around, shielding themselves from the glory of God, and, and they're crying out to each other, holy, 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 and the whole threshold of the temple is shaking. When you encounter a passage, passage like that, it just changes your perspective of God. It, it just awakens you to the reality, to the grandeur of the God who truly is. It changes your life. Revelation chapter 3 is another passage like that where uh, the Lord is, it's a vision of the Lord speaking to, giving these letters to these different churches. And he says to the church in Ephesus, you're neither hot nor cold, so because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's one of those verses where when I dealt with that before, I remember I can point to that and go, this changed my life. To think about nominal Christianity, marginal Christianity, not just as something that's a lesser version of Christianity, but it's actually repulsive to God. And you read a verse like that, and, and all of a sudden you go, my life has to change. This changes everything. Well, Matthew chapter 7, the verses that we're going to look at today, they are a batch of verses like that, where you read it and it has the ability to wreck you in the best possible way. But I just want to give you a heads up so that you are prepared for it. Let's read Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 29. We'll pray and we'll get to work. Matthew 7, starting in verse 21, it reads like this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash." When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray. 
Lord, we're asking that by your spirit, through your word, we would hear your voice. We're praying, Lord, that you would use this time to change our lives, that you would speak these words over us in a way that helps us to to build our lives on the foundation, which is the rock. Help us, Lord, if there are significant adjustments that need to be made in our lives. Help us to be honest. Help us to be self-reflective of what we truly care about. Help us to think through whether or not we really are relying on Christ for salvation. And then, Lord, for anyone who's questioning that, Lord, would you help them to experience that invitation of grace to receive him freely and receive eternal life. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. We find here three different things that are easily discernible. We, we find that the Lord is concerned with authenticity, integrity, and authority. Authenticity, he, he, he wants people to have an authentic faith. He wants people to have a, a, a real faith. Now, I, I've told you guys before, uh, but I, I grew up in the surf, snow, skate culture, like skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing, wakeboarding, those sorts of things, and which is weird because I grew up here at, at a tree farm, so I don't know how you put those things together. Um, but I grew up in that, that subculture, and a part of that subculture is sunglasses are a big deal. Uh, because a lot of those sports are outside um, in the elements with, during the summertime and things like that. But I've never been a sunglasses guy. I, I am totally okay with the gas station sunglasses. Like I can go to the gas station and I can get my Roy bands and, um, and I'm just fine. But in the surf, skate, snow culture, sunglasses are a big deal. And so you know, I'd wear the, the imitation ones, the Roy bands, not the Ray bands, and, and I was like, I can't. They're probably made in the same place. They're just, you know, different amount of marketing and whatnot that, that gets you the... Well, then I did a wedding, and the couple, uh, they gifted the bridal party and myself, they gifted us with name brand sunglasses. And I was like, okay, and I put them on, and I was like, oh, these are different. Like, they're, they're made of different materials, they're of a higher quality, they, they actually are different. And I began to realize, oh, there's a difference between the imitation version of something and the, the real, the genuine article. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I want people to recognize that there is a tremendous difference between the, the authentic believer in Christ and the imitation. And, and, and they, they are profoundly different. So he says profession is, is not sufficient. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Simply saying that you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. Simply professing to be a follower of God does not necessarily mean that you actually are following God. There is an imitation version whereby people call themselves believers, but, but when it comes to that final day, they will be surprised to find out they are not, in fact, followers of God. He says not only is profession insufficient, but performance is not sufficient either. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? It's saying you can do Christian activity, even the most exceptional of Christian activity, that does not make you a sincere and authentic Christian. 
There are people who can do many, many Christian things. In fact, reading church history, one of the surprise features in, in my theological training was reading about pastors and preachers who had successful ministries, and then later in their lives, they came to find out they weren't even real believers. You can do many, many significant Christian things and still not be a true follower of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. There are people who will say on that day, look at everything that I've done. How could you possibly say, I'm not a Christian? And he will say, I don't know you. The Lord will pronounce alienation. He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That means that there, there are people, there are people who are sitting here in church this morning, and there's a potential that even though you're here in church, and even though you might claim Christianity, you might say, I'm a follower of God, look at all the things that I do for God, there's a potential for you to be surprised on the day of judgment where the Lord says to you, I don't know you, away from me. That is a startling reality. So how would we know? How would we know whether or not someone is authentic? How would we know whether or not we're looking at the imitation or the real? The answer is given to us here in the passage. It actually comes in a small little phrase here in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there it is. How do you know whether or not you're sincere or not? It says it's based off of whether or not you do the will of the Father in heaven. And many of the commentators would say, okay, here's what this probably means then. If you want to be sure that you are following God, then there needs to be practical obedience. You're following the will of God. You're doing the sorts of things that he wants you to do. And I think that's right, that the Bible teaches that in many different ways, in many different sections of Scripture, but I'm not sure that that's the actual emphasis here because that doesn't even fit with the context because the context says you could be doing many things that look like practical obedience and be surprised. I don't think that it's just being an ethical, moral, good person. I don't think it means that you just look at the Bible and you read and you study it and you go, how can I align my life to this? Because even in this context, there are people who are doing that with diligence. They're called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're looking at the Bible, they're trying to discern the will of God, and they're trying to align their lives to that, and they're failing. They're missing the point. So what is the will of the Father? And I began thinking about that this week. What is the actual will of the Father? And I looked through the New Testament, and I was looking at different places where it shows up, and there are times where it says, the will of, of God for you, for me, it's that you would grow in Christ-likeness. But then there's a place where Jesus makes it very plain. Here's how he interprets the will of the Father. I'll show it to you. We'll put it up on the screens here. It's John chapter 6. And this is the Lord himself speaking. And he says it like this. My Father's will, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. That's the will of the Father, plain as day. Here's my Father's will. It's that everyone looks to the Son and believes in Him and shall have eternal life. And Jesus says, and I will raise them up on that last day. So when Jesus is speaking to us here in His Sermon on the Mount, and He's saying, look, not everyone who's 
calling themselves a believer will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Here's, here's, what, I'm, here's what I'm feeling. He's saying everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him. Everyone who looks to Jesus Christ and believes in him will receive eternal life. And Jesus himself will raise us up at that last day. That's what we need. We need to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior in our lives. We need to look at the sobering words of the Lord and, and, and do that self-examination on what am I basing my hope for eternity? Am I basing it on my Christian performance? Am I basing it on the fact that I was raised in a Christian household? Am I basing it on the fact that I'm doing all of these different Christian activities? Or, or is my one and only boast Jesus Christ crucified and risen for me? That's the will of the Father, to look on him, to believe in him, to receive him for our salvation. So are you confident in Christ? Are you trusting in him for your salvation? A couple of words of, of just pastoral help here. When I deal with people who, who find themselves hung up on this passage, I, I, I want you to know that one of the things that this invites us to do for sure is to do self-examination. This is demanding that you would take an honest inventory of your soul. You do not want to be surprised on the day of judgment, assuming that you're going to be gladly received well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my rest. You don't want to assume that that's going to be the response and to find that he would say, I don't know you. So do self-examination for sure. But one of the things that I want to encourage you to avoid is self-condemnation. I don't, there, there are times where people get to this passage and they get hung up on it and they begin to feel like, this is me. This is me and there is no hope. I, I am damned, literally. And that is not our job. Jesus is not saying that he's giving you the authority to pronounce the final judgment of your own soul. He's telling you to beware. He's telling you to examine, but, he, but that invitation is wide open. Self-condemnation is mimicking, it's mimicking the language and the tone of the condemner, the accuser. It's listening to the voice of the enemy who does love to speak over us. You're, you, you have no shot here. You will be cast away. How could God possibly love you? So when we look at this passage, we need to be careful with how we think about it. Jesus is warning us, take self-inventory here. Be careful about the condition of your soul, but do the will of my Father, which is to look to the Son, to believe in Him, and to receive eternal life. And to, be, to have that confidence and that assurance that he will raise us up on the last day. But he, again, here's, here's the sobering thing. In this group right here and those who are watching online, there are people who might assume something that is not true. So we need to be careful here. That leads us to examining integrity. Integrity. And, and I'm using that in a very specific way. Does this have integrity? Does it hold does it have structural integrity? So if you drive out this way, there's a creek on the tree farm. And over the years, we've built different bridges across the creek. Not all of the bridges are built the same. Uh, in fact, there was one time where we were taking a crew out to do the trimming of trees. And we drove across the rickety bridge and it collapsed. It did not have integrity. 
And it launched, so as it collapsed, the, the uh, four-wheeler that, that we were riding on and behind flipped, and it launched me into the creek. So it did not have integrity. It broke under the weight of uh, the, the vehicle going across it. What, what Jesus is saying is make sure that you are building your life on something that is durable. Make sure that you are building your life on something that has structural integrity. So we used to, our church used to go to a, a camp when I was a teenager. Our church would go to a camp in Colorado, and it was, a, it was, a, um, it was like a camp where you would set up, uh, they had an amphitheater at the base of a mountain, and then everyone would tent camp up the mountain. And we, people had been going for years, so all the stuff right around the amphitheater was spoken for. And when we started going, they're like, you just keep going up until you, you find some clear space. And so, you know, as latecomers to it, we had to go way up the mountain. So we're hiking up the mountain, and my high school, this, I'm in high school, and I'm with a buddy. And we get up there, and we have to develop a campsite. Like, we, it's, it's, you know, undeveloped land, so you have to figure out where on earth are we going to put a tent here? Like, we're on a mountain. So you can't just, like, stake your tent down and hope, hope for the best. So we found this little area with a, with a rock feature that was kind of coming out of the mountain. And then we backfilled it, and we built this flat space on top of it, and then we sat up there. And during the night, a storm came, and it was crazy because you, you look out, of, out the tent, and you can see all of this water rushing down the mountain. You can see all this stuff flying down the mountain. And, and we, we were pretty naive. I mean, we, we picked the spot because we thought this will be easiest. But we were so grateful for the, for the fact that we built our tent site on that rock because everything was just rushing down the mountain. That's the point that Jesus is making here. He's saying, build your life, build the foundation of your life on a rock. Look at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. There's another option, though, and really he only gives us two options here. You're either building on this material, the rock, or another one, which is sand, verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then, in both of the scenarios, judgment comes. In both scenarios, rain comes, a storm comes, and the outcomes are very, very different. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and, and the one built on the rock, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It was built on the appropriate thing, and so when troubles came, it, it was able to endure. However, the house that's built on sand. If it would be like putting the tent on a sandy area on that mountain, and all of a sudden the rain shows up, the streams of water start flying down, and all of a sudden you're crashing down the mountain. He says, it fell with a great crash. He's saying, not everyone who claims to be a believer is an authentic and real deal. Therefore, you need to be careful what your life is built upon. You better ensure that your life is built on a solid foundation because if you're building your life on something flimsy, when judgment comes, it will result in catastrophe. It will fall with a great crash. Here's the difference. The difference is in verse 24 and verse 26. 
It's what you do with Christ and his words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is foolish. Jesus is saying the way that you can be sure that your life is sturdy, that your life can handle the day of judgment, it is, are you hearing the words of the Lord himself and putting them into practice, believing in him, and living by faith in him? So my question for all of us is, what are we building our lives on? What is at the substrata of your soul? What is it that you most care about? Because Jesus is inviting us to make a firm foundation under ourselves, to build our lives on something that, that is enduring, that will last. And, and I'm afraid not everyone does that. I'm afraid that a lot of people treat Christianity as an addition into an already busy life. And we say, yes, I'm a Christian, but it's not the main thing. It's not the main, th it's a part of my life, but it's not the main thing. It's not the substrata of my soul. There are other things that I'm concerned with too. There's other stuff that I care deeply about. And, and this warns us, if you're building your life on something other than Christ, you're in great danger. If you're building your life and you're thinking, I'm okay, I'm a Christian, you know, I go to church here and there. I, I do these different things. But the reality of what's going on underneath your soul is you care more about something other than Christ than him. That's dangerous. That is incredibly dangerous. In fact, I was thinking it would be malpractice for me not to warn you. You need to take a serious look at what you care most deeply about and make sure that Christ is under you. He is under everything that you're doing, that you are building your life on him. Now, finally, it leads us to consider his authority, his authority. The response of the crowd is that they are amazed. They hear his word, and they recognize the authority that he has, and it changes them. And for, in fact, look at verse 28. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And they recognized the, the difference. They recognized why they were able to ascribe to him such a, such a uh, prominent evaluation of his sermon, it's because he spoke differently. Verse 29, he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. What he said was so radical and so profound that it changed them. They were amazed at his teaching. As we were hanging out with our neighbors last night, and as one dude, he was telling me, uh, because I'm a preacher, he brings stuff up related to my work. And he's like, I was on TikTok the other day and there was this preacher clip on there and it changed my life. So he wanted to share this, this uh, saying that he saw on, on TikTok. There was something about that saying that for him in that moment, it had authority. And now he's like, I'm going to live my life by this idea. And I don't, I, honestly, I don't even remember what it was. But <laughs> What, th what this is saying is there, there, there should be a response to the teaching of Jesus Christ where you're like, well, th that could go on TikTok, okay, first off. That, th that is profound. But there should be this amazement at the teaching of the Lord himself where you say, this is incredible. What Jesus is inviting me to, I could build my life on this thing. 
The, the, the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I don't know if Pete's here today. We were meeting, uh, I don't know if it was this week or the previous one, but we sat down and he said, somebody was telling me recently that if I want to understand Christianity, I should look at the Sermon on the Mount. And he's like, and then we started coming to church here and we're doing the Sermon on the Mount and it was a gift of God. But we should have that response where we go, man, to the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is teaching here is so amazing. It's so profound. It has such a significance that, that it has authority, that it could change my life, that I will prioritize my life according to the teachings of the Lord himself. Jesus is inviting us to hear his words and to respond with faith and obedience today. Today. This is, again, one of those passages that can alter the course of your life if you will allow it, that you can get real enough to say, maybe my foundation is not Christ." But that can change today because what's his invitation? Look to me and live. That's what Jesus is saying. Look to me. Hear my words. Put them into practice. Believe in me. Trust in me. And you will receive eternal life. And Jesus says, and on that day of judgment, storms will come, streams will rage, winds will blow, but I will raise you up. You will be built on a solid and sturdy foundation of Jesus Christ alone, and he is able to save. So look to him and live. Look to him and trust in him and receive the gift of his salvation and do that now. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your words. We're so grateful for your ministry. We're grateful for your willingness to die in our place, crucified and risen. We're grateful for the way that you invite us to look to you and receive salvation. And I pray for all of us in here that we would walk away amazed by your teaching, recognizing the authority that you have, the life-giving words that you speak. Help each of us, each and every one of us, to entrust ourselves to you completely and help each and every one of us to build our lives on the firm foundation, which is the rock of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>